Approaching Zion. Come follow me for January 22nd to 28th. We're looking at 1st Nephi chapters 11 through 15. And the theme is armed with righteousness and with the power of God. Some awesome stuff to look at in these chapters. Before we get started, you want to do a little recap of where we are? Yeah, I thought it'd be helpful to kind of discuss what's taken place up to this point so that we're all on the same page as we get going here. And in last week's episode, we see that um, Nephi and Laman and Lemuel go back to Jerusalem, um, exercise faith, go convince Ishmael through words of the Lord to bring him and his family down into the wilderness. Then a series of events happens. Nephi almost dies or they try to kill Nephi. Then they get back, they repent. And then Lehi has this vision, the tree of life. Um, we discussed that uh, that situation. And then at the end of last week's episode, uh, Lehi prophesies of the destruction of Jerusalem. They'll be captive uh, by Babylon. And then um, his prophecy on the Messiah, Christ coming and redeeming um, the the sins of his people. And uh, and then Nephi testifying of, of Christ as well and the, and the Holy Ghost. And then we have kind of the allegory of the olive tree and the the uh, Jews being grafted back in to um, the, that olive tree. So that's kind of what's taking place up to this point. And now we see that Lehi has had this vision. This obviously has triggered curiosity within Nephi and, and um, him wanting to better understand and have his own personal witness of this truth that Lehi, his father, has received. So that's kind of the, the background. Yeah, so... Leading up to this, also he talked about the conversion of Nephi throughout this process of of having faith in, in his father as a prophet, being called out, having to go through the softening of heart, and learning how to live by the Spirit. And now we're seeing that Nephi is capable of his own visions and, and manifestations of the Spirit through his conversion and the growth of his faith through this process. And we see here in the manual, it starts off by saying, when God has a monumental work for his prophet to do, he often gives that prophet a monumental vision. And after this vision, Nephi was better prepared for the work that lay ahead. So Nephi is getting greater manifestations of the Spirit, and really we see him growing in his, in his priesthood. Um, growing in the shoes of his father and being prepared for his role as as leader, which is to come. And it's very important to understand that. I mean, we see we see Lehi essentially officiating in patriarchal priesthood, and he's officiating and leading his family. So, as patriarch of his family, um, that's that's the priesthood in which he's he's officiating, and he's. And, and he's governing his family and leading his family uh, through these revelations that he's received. So we see Nephi growing in this same patriarchal priesthood, right? And patriarchal priesthood is an extension of Melchizedek priesthood uh, in the sense that it has both keys and authority of, of priestly functions as well as kingly. So spiritual leadership and, and political leadership in the kingdom of God, essentially. And Right, Nephi's growing in this, and it's not an accident that they had that they went back 
to get wives so the sons could be uh, could start their own families, have their own posterity, and grow in this patriarchal priesthood. And I think that's that was important leading up to this and 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 showing their faithfulness to the commandments and being prepared in Nephi's case. Uh, that was part of his preparation leading up to uh, this this vision that that he received. Yeah, one of the interesting things about this, and you know, when Lehi has this vision, which is fantastic. I mean, it's 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 a, an amazing vision. One of the interesting things is he doesn't have this vision while Nephi, Laman, and Lemuel and Sam and them are gone and going back to Jerusalem, which to me, as somebody with kids. You kind of feel like, man, that would be the time to receive the vision. That would be the time to receive the revelation. Like, man, all the kids are gone. There's some peace it's and quiet. quiet. <laughs> you can actually you can actually hear the spirit of the Lord a little bit better and actually receive the revelation. But what what we're being taught here is as the commandments, and this was a commandment that Lehi received from the Lord to send his sons back to convince Ishmael and his family to come down into the wilderness with them. We actually see that as these commandments are being feel, fulfilled, n- now Lehi is receiving the next the next thing needed. He's receiving this great vision, right? Because this is what was was needed for him um, and for his family and his posterity moving forward, right? But it's he's only receiving these as acts of righteousness are being fulfilled by not just him, but those he has stewardship over. And, and fulfilling those commandments the Lord has given them. So that's kind of an interesting anecdote that yeah. it's not exactly the way we might envision things going. Well, I think, I mean, visions are often associated with being in a temple-like setting, or, you know, going up onto the mountain, being away, and having that solitude or that reverence, that ability to receive them. But at the same time, there's a preparation prior to that happening. So, you know, in, you see Moses going up to the mountain and having these these revelatory experiences but why well it's because he is 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 working and serving and suffering on behalf of all of israel that's what's on his mind that's what he's pondering that's what's heavy on sacrifices he's making so it's to me i think we see something similar with lehi where they're back from jerusalem again um, they've gone through these experiences. Lehi has heard about the challenges of of Laman and Lemuel and their their hard hardness. And I mean, there's probably all these things are on his mind, and he's observing his family interacting with each other, and he's he's and all of these thoughts and these ponderings are heavy on his heart. And that uh, that's probably a lot of the pre- preparation in him having this dream mm. and receiving this vision, because there's a lot of. Uh, a lot of those um, themes are in his dream, right? He sees his family and how his children are interacting yeah. with the rod and and partaking of the fruit or not, or being being persuaded to the 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 great and spacious building. So, um, very interesting, like this how that family element and pondering and observing, right? There's a role there's a role in that in our revelatory experiences in our patriarchal priesthood for sure. So let's read about Nephi and how he went about getting his interpretation. And our manual shows, uh, the first section the manual goes through is, God sent Jesus Christ as an expression of his love. And this kicks us off into Nephi's interpretation or his his 
him seeking the interpretation to understand his father's his father's dreams. So uh, let's read about what exactly led up to him having this great experience. So in verse one, came to pass that after I had desired to know the things that my father had seen, and believing that the Lord was able to make them known unto me, as I sat pondering in my heart, I was caught away in the spirit of the Lord, yea, into an exceedingly high mountain, which I had never had seen before, and upon which I had never before set set my foot. So we're already learning some very key principles uh, about personal revelation here. Yeah, Nephi, a couple of things. One, he had a sincere desire. We've talked about that before, but it's something that is pervasive in so many of these themes that we, we discuss. He had that sincere desire. And then he had faith. He believed that the Lord was able to make them known unto them, him, right? I mean, he, he, he did not have a desire that was in vain. Like, he believed there was a path. He believed there was a way that if, if Lord willing, he could receive and understand these things. And then was he just sitting around waiting for the Lord to, you know, instill within him this knowledge and, and, and this, um, clarity that he was looking for? No, like he was actively pondering, thinking about going through these things and, and really reflecting on the vision and the words of his father. He was really trying to internalize what his father had said. And, and that's, I think these kind of three big, overarching themes here that Nephi, Nephi lays out this this desire, this real intent that he had and the faith, the belief that he had, he knew he could receive greater understanding or at least clarity for him individually, you know, to make more sense of the vision. And then he, he was actively um, engaged in receiving. He was pondering and thinking upon it and, and going through it in his mind and trying to internalize it for him. And with those three kind of large ingredients, this kind of set the stage for the spirit now to really come and, and, um, you know, allow this pretty miraculous vision and expansion upon what, what Lehi had in his vision. So the main principles we see here are desiring to know, belief that the Lord is able to make it known, and then the process of pondering, Mm -hmm. right? So having the desire that includes scripture study, that includes that includes prayer, that includes seeking, believing that the Lord is able. That's just that's just the faith in general. Right? That could, that can be that can be the prayer. But pondering is something that seems to be harder and harder to do, right? As in this age of technology, to actually take the time to sit and think about something. We're just so distracted all the time. But pondering is a critical, critical aspect of personal revelation. And that's actually a skill. Like, it's not just something that that is just easy to do and we just don't make time for it. Like, no, it actually takes effort to get very good at thinking about things, pondering what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, putting things in their proper place, and the whole mental exercise of really thinking upon, dwelling upon, and, and pondering on something in a productive, positive way. Like, that's that's a skill that is developed. We have to be intentional about it and purposeful and continue to refine that ability, right? And and as you mentioned, in today's world, that's very difficult to set that time aside and to 
really spend effort and energy pondering on things that we don't quite understand. Um, and then, and then try to make sense of them and do those mental exercises to really, you know, and to kind of game theory things out and think, well, what if this, or what if that, and what is the logical conclusion of those things? But as we do that, then we start to be able to be able to put some pieces together and that allows the spirit to really start confirming or through discernment, no, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't taste good to us, you know? And that's something that we go through quite a bit where we'll, we'll read something or we'll hear something, we'll learn something, we start pondering on it, we start trying to fit it into this kind of eternal round perspective. Like, like we've learned a truth or we think we have something here that's true. How does it fit into the, the landscape of everything else we know is true? And as we start doing that, we're able to slowly start figuring out where does this puzzle piece, this bit of truth, where does it fit in? You know, where does it make sense? How does it clarify? Yes, exactly right. And and as time goes by, little by little, we try here. No, that doesn't make sense. We put it here. And then eventually when you fit, when, when you really feel like you get it in the right spot, the spirit can kind of bear witness to you of, hey, that's, 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 that's legit. Like that's, that's a really good doctrine. It tastes really good. So Nephi is taken away by the Spirit, and the Spirit says, What desirest thou? And Nephi told the Spirit the, to behold the things which my father saw. And the Spirit said, Believest thou that thy father saw the tree of which he had spoken? Nephi says, Yes, thou knowest I believe all the words of my father. And when he spoke those things, the Spirit cried with a loud voice, saying, Hosanna to the Lord, the Most High God, for he is God over all the earth, yea, even above all. And blessed art thou, Nephi, because thou believest in the Son of the Most High God. Wherefore, thou shalt behold the things which thou hast desired. So very interesting here is he desired to see the things his father saw. The Spirit said, do you believe he saw them? Nephi says, yes. And then what does, what does the Spirit say? He doesn't say, blessed out there, Nephi, for believing in the words of your father. Mm. What does he say? He says, blessed art thou, Nephi, because thou believest in the Son of the Most High God. So this takes us a little beyond just believing that, that his father had a dream. This shows that Nephi took the dream that Lehi received, he took it to heart. Well, it shows that he's taken all the words of Lehi to heart. That he has started to internalize. He doesn't just hear the words of his father and let it be. He has taken all the words of his father and started to internalize. And and as we mentioned, he has started to put things, he started to put truth in their proper place internally within him. And he's starting to to live and to act and to be this person based on this truth that he's internalizing, right? He's not just sitting on it yeah. and doing nothing with it. He's He's receiving this truth, like the parable of the talents, and he's doing something with it. He's well, starting to change who he is. Well, there's there's some of the principles, not just of the desire, but of the belief and of the pondering. Yeah. Right? We're, we're seeing here that the Spirit's recognizing that Nephi's gone through all of this mm-hmm. and taken those things to heart. And um, yeah, it's also interesting here that we, we were talking about this earlier, but this, this case of a... The scripture is saying it's the spirit, right? Nephi is talking to the spirit, but, um, you know, clearly to us, you know, that means the spirit means the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I know, like, uh, we've talked about this before. We've talked about it in our Gospel Mysteries podcast, but the scriptures use some of these these terms interchangeably, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and we kind of have to use context here to, to, to figure out what's going on. But, I mean, just think about how incredible this is. Like, Nephi's having an interview with the Holy Ghost, mm. with the Spirit, a member of the Godhead. Like, this is not... This is not just some insightful imagery that Nephi is receiving. Spirits coming unto him and, and communicating with him. Mm-hmm. Like this is the fullness of personal revelation here that Nephi is, is being given. And this is what it talked about in the beginning of the manual. That this is a, um, how was it worded? This was monumental. Yeah, this is a monumental vision that Nephi is receiving because Nephi is being prepared for a monumental mission. Right? He is very a very key player in fulfilling these covenantal blessings of of Joseph of Egypt and the House of Israel, and um, it, it's just something to consider that he. I mean, he has been prepared for this. Yeah, and he has gone through trials and and training and situations that has that have prepared him for this well and it's important for us to remember that those those monumental tasks each of us are going to have those in our lives whether it's just for us or whether like what what the prophet and the apostles feel like today they recall a time in their life where they were just regular members of the church and they had experiences like we have and they had struggles like we have and and they likely had no idea that they were going to be called to a, a a position of responsibility where they were going to have these heavy mantles placed upon them right but they lived their life preparing and 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 being um able and capable of of these monumental tasks you know now they didn't certainly seek those things they didn't seek those callings they have but because they developed this ability to prepare for these monumental tasks and to receive what is needed to fulfill personally, they were ready and prepared to take upon them the mantle of being an apostle or being a prophet of the Lord, right? And so this is very applicable to us today. We need to live a life that allows us to prepare for and to to um, be ready for the tasks, the monumental tasks that the Lord will call us to go through in our life. It's not if, it's when. We will be called to go through and to sojourn through difficult things that will have an indelible impact on us, but we've got to be ready and prepared to do that. And a monumental task does not necessarily mean a monumental calling in the church. Right, yeah. We can have monumental tasks for ourselves and for our families and our posterity. I mean, clearly in the case of Lehi and Nephi, right, it turned out being for both, but in the moment... I mean, they're just trying to deal with their family and the situations they're going through. They're not thinking, right? They're, they're not thinking about, oh, like we're leading a church. Yeah. <laughs> we have this calling in in the church or like, I'm sure it was difficult for them to see how they fit into the broader plan of God, you know, for, for another, for a whole other continent being, being peopled and, and, yeah. and a parallel gospel and church being implemented to, to what's going on in Jerusalem. So, Right, we can be monumental where we are and in, in, in the sphere in which we find ourselves. And that's that's important because 
maybe we feel inconsequential, but each and every one of us have important and potentially very powerful impact that we can make just with those around us and within our families. And the vision continues. So he sees the he sees the tree and the spirit uh, then continues, what what does thou desire? And Nephi says to know the interpretation thereof. Okay, so again, the spirit, this personal revelation is not just here is you immediately instantly understand everything. It's it's a process. And the spirit is not just giving um, information. The spirit is giving Nephi an experience. And part of this experience, part of Nephi's ability to continue receiving this revelation in the moment is the spirit is leading him to continue pondering while the, the vision is happening, yeah. while this experiencing is happening. So what is that? What desirest thou? To know the interpretation thereof. He spoke to me as, as a man speaketh with another, having a conversation. And then the spirit said, look. So the spirit is giving him more visual imagery but he's not but he's letting nephi ponder on it and come to the conclusions himself Mm -hmm. so nephi still has to be prepared in a way to interpret the symbolism and understand what he's being shown so this is all very important for us learning how to receive and interpret personal revelation because personal revelation spirit of prophecy probably very rarely is here's this exact thing that you completely understand immediately in a snap a lot of times it's it's imagery it's things that you still have to ponder on and get interpretation out of well we talked about this earlier too where this this idea of being shown the interpretation it it allowed him to have a a more a more complete a or a fuller experience related to the truth that was being taught right and for us it it's very similar what we have to go through where it's it's one thing to hear truth it's another thing to then take that truth and actually experience it to to um to be part of it to be engaged with it and to receive wisdom from that truth right there's a lot of people that hear the gospel they hear the words of truth but they don't then take it and engage with it it's that it's 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 taking it to that next level really and that's what the spirit is seeking to do here with nephi is not just to give him the truth but to allow him to experience to be a part of it just to internalize it and to make it part of who he is and that's where that real wisdom comes from that real insight that's personal and and individual to you Mm -hmm. and and we've got to do that as well you can't hear a good lesson at church you can't hear a good message in conference and let it be You've got to take it then, like we've been talking about in this lesson so far, you've got to take it, start internalizing it, start trying to act upon it in your life, start making it a part of who you are. And that's when those truths will really become powerful and really become part of who you are. And and you'll understand yourself and understand that truth better when we engage with it personally and individually. This is what's so marvelous, but also can be frustrating at times with the Gospels that so much of it is an individual effort, right? The the prophets talk about how salvation is, it's individual. We each have to come to Christ and come to these things individually. And we can, you can have great revelatory experiences, but how do you, how do you adequately share that with other people? And 
the answer is you can't. They can come to, to similar manifestations on their own. And perhaps if two people who are of, of similar um, spiritual capacity are having a conversation, there probably is some capacity to share those things yeah. and to more easily communicate your experiences in a way that can be experienced by the other person. But so many times, if you try to share great and, and sacred experiences that you've had with other people who maybe have not yet had such experiences, they may they may enjoy your testimony. They may they may even be strengthened by it, but you can't really communicate your experience. It has the the other the other party has to come unto that same experience themselves through their own progression in the gospel. And that can be a little frustrating at times, like yeah, whether sure. it's a you know whether it's as a missionary or just uh, talking to different members of your family, even perhaps. Sometimes, like you really want to communicate something that's sacred and so clear to you, and it's just hard to do. And the best we can do is share testimony and just encourage people to grow in the gospel and, and go through that line upon line process of, uh, you know, and, and just trying to teach them how to go about obtaining personal revelation on their own. And that's just encouraging each individual to experiment on this process of personal revelation. Yeah, greater than greater than conveying to our children or to to giving our children revelation that we have received personally. That's important because it shows our children that hey, we we have acted upon and truly believe what um, what we have been taught and what we've been what we've received through the restoration of the gospel. More important to that though is teach your children how to receive revelation themselves because nothing you give them from your own personal experience will ever be as important to them and have such a, a, a significant impact on them as them receiving it individually for themselves. And it reminds me of that talk. We, we, we read a talk several months ago from Elder Bednar and he was speaking to, I think it might've been some missionaries. Uh, it was at a conference somewhere and not general conference, but another conference he was doing at BYU maybe. Yeah. It might've been BYU and he was just mentioning how, you know, he he didn't want those who were in attendance to write down the words he was verbally speaking. Like he wanted them to listen to and to follow the promptings and the inspiration of the spirit mm -hmm. and then just write down the the inspired feelings that the spirit was giving to those people. Individually. Why? Yeah, because it was individual to them. Like don't listen to the words we're giving. You listen to the to the words the Spirit is conveying to you. And he you. said it in a funny way because yeah. he was like, I don't want you to write down anything I say today. Yeah. <laughs> so you can imagine all these missionaries like with their notepads going, huh? Yeah, like ready to rock and roll. But <laughs> but, but the principle he taught him is because it's not his words. Right. It's it's the Holy Ghost's words that yep. we want. And what, is that, what does that mean? As he's talking, as we're talking, as you're watching General Conference, whatever it may be, if the Holy Ghost moves upon you, you're going to receive ideas that are specific to you individually and in your individual situation. And that might be, I need to repent of this thing. Or it might be, I need to um, work on my relationship with this person. Or it might be, I need to put more effort into my prayers. It might be whatever. 
but it's specific to you in your situation. And that's how you truly uh, can learn by the Holy Ghost and, and, and through this spirit of, of prophecy and personal revelation, regardless of the source, if it's inspired and being spoken un- through the power of the Holy Ghost, you will receive these personal influx of, of ideas that sometimes don't even seem to be related to the words that are being spoken. Yeah. But it's very clear that it's specific to you and what you need and what you should be doing. Well, this is the same principle that we talk about in the church where you read the scriptures and, and what do we say? You get something new out of them every time. Why? Because the scriptures are are written and translated by the power of revelation, right? And then as we read them, the spirit will communicate new insights, new thoughts, new revelations to us, right? And we read something a year ago, the spirit's going to convey something to us that we need in that moment, at that time, right? We read that same scripture again today, and the Spirit's going to show us how we need to interpret that and what we can receive from it today, what we need right now, you know? And so it's it's that same principle where, and this is why, this is why we're, we're admonished to read our scriptures, to be, to, to feast upon the words of Christ over and over and over again. It's not because, you know, it's not because they want you to memorize those words, Although you do that and it makes you feel smart, even though, even though we're not, <laughs> but every now and then you can recall a scripture like, Hey, I'm, I'm going somewhere here. Um, but it's, it's that whole concept of reading those scriptures and opening up that, that opportunity of revelation by the spirit and Hey, it can give you insights and thoughts come to your mind that you need in that moment. You know, it, it becomes a lifeline throughout the entirety of your mortal probation, you know, that. You can consistently receive understanding personally and individually for what you need right then and there. So where do we go from here? So Nephi saw the tree. The spirit said, what would, what do you desire? He said, the interpretation of the tree. And, and then Nephi, instead of just being given the interpretation, he is shown, uh, he has shown Mary. Uh, a virgin most beautiful and fair above all other virgins. And then he asks the most profound question of all time. He asks, Knowest thou the condescension of God? And this is something that man, I come back to over and over and over again. What, I mean, this, this is the most profound question there is. I mean, this is asking, do you understand the atonement? Do you understand the plan of salvation? If you understand the condescension of God, right, you're going to understand the eternal round, the eternal plan of, of the Father. You're going to understand the, the premortal existence. You're going to understand our purpose here. You're going to understand the glory that is to come. Yeah. And Nephi responded saying, no. <laughs> <laughs> In, in the paraphrased version, yeah, that's what he was he said, saying. I know that God loves His children, but I do not know the meaning of all things. Yeah. This is this is the scripture we memorized to to give at seminary every time we were asked. To ask that that may have been a very refined and and very thoughtful way to <laughs> put these words into the plates when he was pondering on it thirty, forty years later. <laughs> Instead of just be like, uh, I have no idea. He thought of a more clever way to write it down here, <laughs> but. Then he is then shown 
the birth of the Savior. Okay, he's shown the nature of Christ's organization, mm. right? The nature of, of the organization of essentially of his spirit and of his of his mortal body. Yeah. He has shown the nature of who his father is. Mm-hmm. And and then um he is also given vision as to his ministry that is to come. Yeah. But that is what then allows Nephi to understand the significance of the tree and the fruit yeah. and the love of God. Yep. It was, he said, he said, well, I, I know that God loves his children. That's almost like theoretical. Mm-hmm. But then once he experienced the condesc- condescension of God, that, that Jesus, right, was born into the flesh, grew grace for grace. And even, and even though he was perfect and could have, could have, exalted himself through his own perfections. Mm-hmm. No, he's, he chose to go down the covenant path yep. as an example to us and to be able to perform the atonement on our behalf. And then Nephi didn't just theoretically understand that God loves his children. He grew into a, a full understanding, a heartfelt, profound understanding of the love of God. Yeah. And he really then understood what that tree and that the fruit that is most desirable, what that means. And um, I'll, I'll just give another shout out to our, our last gospel mystery episode where we talked about intelligence and the atonement. Because we go into this in depth yeah. about the organization of Christ and, and, and who he is and how the atonement is so important because of who he is having done what he did. Yeah. But... Um, that's just so profound. Knowest thou the condescension of God? We have to come to know this ourselves individually if we're really going to truly appreciate the love that God has for us as his children. And at times, it 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 feels like at, at times a, a more evangelical perspective is they seem to ap- appreciate or maybe to focus on this you know, e- even better or, or a little bit more than we do at, at certain periods, but they really focus on this part that Nephi's learning right here of this, this miraculous conception of literally being the, the son of, and, and being made of the spiritual exalted substance that God, the father's Christ had, had half of that within him. He had that within him. And then he inherited his, his the mortal aspect of him from, from Mary, obviously, but I mean, it's it's really this deep understanding Nephi was receiving of who this man is and the mission on which he was he was called and foreordained to execute on and to and to ensure that salvation could be received by all those who are willing to to follow him. And so, you know, that's certainly something that we can learn from as well as understanding not just why the atonement was necessary, but how. And that's and you mentioned our last um, gospel mysteries podcast. That's really one of the things we focused on is how does this happen? How is this possible? You know, not just why the atonement, how does this this atonement happen? And a big part of that is literally who Christ was and is, what he was made up of. I mean, that's part of how this whole thing was even able to happen was because of just the nature of who he was. And Nephi is being shown that yeah. here by the Spirit. Not to get 
too deep on this. <laughs> but what we see with the organization, the creation, right, the birth of Jesus, is that very clearly God's, God the Father, like, he can create, he can organize intelligence that is perfect and capable of perfection. Yeah. God can God can find those intelligences that are perfected, organize them into spirit, organize them into flesh, and have them be capable of saving themselves. That's a, clearly what happened with Jesus. Yeah. He was he was already perfect in spirit, right? Those intelligences were perfected. He was born into flesh, capable of living a perfect life. Yeah. So, what do we learn from that? God's plan is not simply to take perfect intelligence and put it into a situation where it can become exalted. God's plan for us is that all of the lower, less progressed intelligences also have an opportunity to progress mm. towards exaltation and into the image of God and towards the perfection of the Father. And that is what that is the hope that Jesus Christ gives us and yeah. gave us. He came to earth and he showed us that the love of God is not to be self-exalting. The love of God is to bless all of God's creation to progress, all of his less progressed children, yep. you and I, we all have equal opportunity to progress towards exaltation because we cannot on our own. We are not progressed enough to live a perfect life, right? The plan is designed so that billions of spirits, of spirit children of Heavenly Father can progress towards exaltation. Not that a single, a single child can can come down and, and live a perfect life and be proved. I mean, it's, it's very profound yeah. and... We go in, like we go into depth on our gospel mysteries podcast into this, but it's just that uh, just a glimpse into the love of God. Yeah. That the plan, it's it's so selfless. Christ could have saved himself and been done with it, but that's not what God does. Yeah. The attributes of God, the charity of God, he 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 can't do that. Yeah. He looks upon his creation. He looks upon his children with so much love and charity that he will do everything in his power for their progression, for their eternal life and exaltation. That's the glory of God. And that's the fullness of, of charity that God has. And that's what Jesus represents. The love of God, the charity of God, the depths to which God goes for our progression and eventual exaltation. And also, of course, Jesus giving the example of how to go about getting there, which is the covenant path and and the covenants and the ordinances of the gospel. And it's it's fascinating. It actually helps you understand Christ better when you realize that he grew grace for grace. He didn't have that perfect understanding of these things all at once, but that at a certain point, he came to understand, like, I, I am literally made of substance that allows me to overcome the temporal celestial temptations that he did face. I mean, that was real though. He was tempted. And we see that throughout the new Testament. He, he did face those mortal temptations that we all face, but at a certain point he began to realize that there, there is substance within him. There is capability within him 
that allows him to always overcome and to not give in Mm -hmm. to that temptation. And then it allows him to turn around and look at the rest of us and just have that real empathy and that love for us to say, I've been given this or I am made of this substance to be the sacrificial lamb. I, I have been given this so that each of these sons and daughters of God have an opportunity to be like me, to be perfected and to be one with the Father. I mean, that that mantle, as that realization, as that knowledge descends upon him and he's he becomes aware of that, I mean, that is such a heavy burden that the love that he has, the empathy, you start to understand how he can just look upon even the most vile of people with love and compassion and care and this sincere desire because his whole life, the whole plan for him was the sacrificial lamb and to pave the way for each of us to come and and, and partake of the glory of the Father through him. What an amazing, just what an amazing opportunity and, and blessing for us, but how profound that must have been when he started to realize exactly what his mission on on earth was to be. I mean, that would have been a heavy, heavy understanding at that point. And we get glimpses of that in our own lives. Because as we grow spiritually, as we overcome our sins, as we partake of that in that redemption, and we, we overcome those sins, we and we gain the power of righteousness to have that self-control in our lives, we can then have empathy to those around us who are yeah. going through similar experiences. But it's you really only can have a fullness of the empathy once you've overcome it, once you're in a position to live the laws perfectly. Yeah. And then and then you can have pure empathy from a from a position of strength, from a position of, of being able to reach down and lift up to to where you are. Yeah. You can bear real testimony and you can really you you, you can extend you can you can be an instrument in the hands of God to extend that grace of Christ and help lift others up through the atonement. Yeah, and that's I mean part of part of what I've gone through personally with the the addictions I've suffered with in the past is that whole process of overcoming and then part of that recovery process is you you meet with others who are struggling, you you um you kind of mentor them, you help you help make sure that that they're continuing to progress and that they know that there are others who are going through that experience as well and man that opportunity of of one being able to remember what what it felt like going through that experience yourself but then knowing i've overcome this and seeing other people struggle with it you know for those that that haven't suffered with you know in some way or another we all have addictions we have we have things we do these routines these 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 just we do them habitually you know we all fall into those but for those of us that have suffered with debilitating addictions things that are obvious and and at times other people it's hard for them to even talk about or 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 to even address you know for those of us who have gone through it though and then overcome we don't look at those people with with you know detest or or um and and put them down or belittle them you know we look at them and understand the struggle they're going through and the opportunity that they have to overcome and the joy that that brings or and could potentially bring into their life and the savior does that perfectly i mean he looks at all of us with that pure love and understanding of what we're going through and a desire for us to overcome 
So a few more things real quick on this, and we've got a few more topics to hit. But uh, I know I joked about this. I know that he loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. I did want to say, though, that's a perfect example of how to approach our doubts in the gospel. Because even when you've had spiritual experiences, even when you have testimony, you can have doubts. You can, there can be things that don't make sense yet. And that's okay. Like, that's part of the learning process. That's part of the line upon line that we go through. Uh, growing grace for grace and growing line upon line. But how do you approach those doubts? And the example of Nephi here is just perfect. I know that God loves his children. It's just pure faith that I'll be true to the testimony I've received, even though I don't understand all things. I, that's an example. That's that's integrity. Yeah. I'll be true to what I've received, even though I have doubts or there's things that confuse me still. There's things that I do not understand. So that's just, I wanted to comment on that because that's just a perfect example of how to handle those situations where you learn something, you get some information that's confusing, that doesn't uh, doesn't make sense with your current understanding of the gospel or, or of, of the history of the church or whatever it may be. We can be true to what we've received, to the testimony that we have, to the spiritual confirmations we've received. We can understand that God's plan is perfect, that he loves his children, even though we don't understand all things. Well, and we see this in the temple as well, in the endowment, you know, the, the, the narrative that's that's put forward to us there, where we can see Adam and Eve consistently seeking, you know, that additional light and knowledge, greater truth. They clearly didn't have it all. And then we see that juxtaposition of, you know, Satan, the adversary, trying to provide some truth, you know, philosophies of man mingled with scripture. We see him trying to deceive um, Adam and Eve, but they they are not having any of it. You know, they are remaining true and faithful and seeking. So clearly they didn't understand all things. They didn't have all the light and truth that the Lord intended for them to have. And while they were waiting to receive the additional light and knowledge, Satan was seeking to deceive them. He was seeking to lead them astray, but they would not give in. They were true and faithful to their covenants yes. that they had made thus far. That's an eternal principle. Integrity. And yes. And we need to be faithful to that as well. Mm-hmm. That's that's a major part of the plan of salvation, of this mortal test that we're going through. Can you make a promise and keep it? Yeah. Can you make a covenant and you be true and faithful in some things? And then can you grow in being true and faithful to more things? Yeah. That's, by and large, the plan of salvation. Can we grow in our capacity to make a promise and keep it? Because God always keeps his promises. That's yeah. why he's God. He's true to his word always. He's good on his promises. That's why he is 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 worthy of our of our adoration, of our worship. That's why we trust in him and we make the covenants that we make. Because we know that he will hold up his end of the bargain. And as we progress to be more like Jesus Christ, more like our Heavenly Father, we have to learn to grow in that same integrity and being able to make those covenants, make those promises. And even if we don't understand all things, even if we have doubts, we can be true and faithful to what we have covenanted to do. And I kind of think the overall message here from this whole experience of Nephi, to me is just, I mean, we've talked about, we've harped on personal revelation, but it's just, it's having that personal 
individual relationship with God through Christ. That's that's what I get out of this. And right, the book of Hebrews teaches that Christ symbolically is the veil of the temple, meaning it is through Christ that we can enter into the Holy of Holies, that we can enter into the presence of God. Or it is through Christ that we can actually have access to revelation, to the revelatory powers of the Holy Ghost and the fullness of truth that radiates from the Father. And I kind of, that's kind of my, my summary of this whole experience that Nephi had is understanding the role of the Holy Ghost, understanding the role of Jesus as, as Son of God and as the Redeemer and his role in connecting us to the fullness of truth, to the fullness of the gospel, to the fullness of blessings available from our Father in heaven. Well, and, and just in this teaching, though, as we talked about before, in this teaching, we see another example of the fullness of the gospel being contained within the Book of Mormon, because everything Nephi is seeing here and everything we've been discussing, it it relates and correlates perfectly with everything we're taught in the temple and in the endowment today. I mean, you can see the symmetry of the Book of Mormon and Nephi learning these things in Old Testament times. We can see that clearly he was being taught and receiving this additional light and knowledge that we have once again received as part of the restoration, right? And so that's yeah. that's key is to understand another example of the Book of Mormon containing the fullness of the gospel yeah. here. I mean, this is very, Nephi's vision is very clearly an endowment yes, type, type experience. experience. Yep, I mean, even the questions that the Holy Ghost, the probing questions the Holy Ghost is asking, I mean, you can very simply reword some of those questions and it's, um, I mean, it's 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 the ordinance of the endowment and, and the narrative and the ceremony that we have today yeah. in our in our current version of the endowment. And I mean, it's it's all there. Yeah. A little bit of interpretation For to, sure. to get it out of it. Uh, but those with eyes to see and ears to hear, I mean, you can clearly see the symmetry here. Between, the elements, yeah, all the elements are the, there. The yeah. sim- prin- same principles are being taught. And it's all, of course, with the same purpose of bringing us, bringing Nephi to Christ and to the that fullness of understanding of his role in our salvation. And, and then the vision continues. Now we're getting to the, now we're getting to the good stuff here. <laughs> It's all good. That was, that was just the appetizer. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. I just get so excited. I get so excited about all of this. Okay, and then we move on, and what do we see at the end of chapter 11? The great and spacious building, the pride of the world. Ooh, and it fell, and the fall thereof was exceedingly great. So, and then moving into chapter from chapter 12 to chapter 13, Nephi starts getting visions and understanding about the great and abominable church of the devil. Woo! Says good stuff. <laughs> um, we're not going to go into looking at a whole lot of scriptures on this. All right, we'll let we'll let everybody do their own reading of the scriptures. But we did want to talk a little bit about what is the great and abominable church of the devil. Uh is a very big topic. It's a very, very, it, it encompasses a lot. And I know growing up, you hear a lot of different 
explanations of what the great and abominable church is. Some people even trying to say it's some specific church (laughs) that it represents. Um, Very, you know, very clearly it's much bigger and broader than, than just a, a, a false church that exists on the earth. It's something much broader. And um, I know that general authorities have talked on this subject numerous times about how it's, you know, it, it represents apostasy in general. Yeah. Um, but I did want to uh, mention there's a there's a book I read by um, H. Verlin Anderson, who was a, a 70, a general authority um, uh, under President Benson. And he wrote a book called The Great and Abominable Church of the Devil. <laughs> and great title. Uh, but he makes the case that the only organization that could actually oppress in the way to the level of the organization that Nephi saw uh, was corrupt government. And because government is the entity on earth that really has the the full capacity of, of oppressing, of, of enforcing uh, things in the way that this great and abominable church that Nephi saw did. And that's just a very interesting concept because, you know, of course, corrupt government its tentacles reaches out; they they reach out into all aspects of 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 society, be it economic or be it social, be it educational. Right? Once once kind of that corrupt nature of government and and the corrupt use of 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 money of funds starts kind of creeping into corporations or or religious institutions or educational institutions or whatever it may be. It's that it's that corruption from the top down. It really represents this great and abominable church, and it's it's the it's the way that the adversary can um, essentially proselytize false doctrine mm-hmm. and and the false gospel throughout the world. And we know that there's equal and opposite in all things. There must be opposition in all things. So we can look at the kingdom of God that Christ set up and that has been restored. And we can look to the world and see whatever, right, the, the, there has to be an opposite of that in the world. There has to be a parallel being built and being structured and being maintained uh, to the truth. Yeah. And, and that's what we see. We see that um, corrupt government is through the kingdoms of the devil or the kingdoms of the world, corrupt men, corrupt governmental institutions. And, and those concepts trickling down to all manner of, of institutions that we interact with in our daily life. But that is, that's really the essence of the great and abominable church. It, I mean, it's everything around us, it's everything we interact with. Um, and just so interesting to, to ponder on this and, and look for those parallels. And, and when you look for it, it can become very clear and you, you can learn to discern uh, those those elements of that great and abominable church all around us in our daily life. I recently read a talk by Joseph Fielding Smith, and this was well, well, well into his later later years. And I don't think he lived actually much longer after this talk. Um, but this is why he was president of the church, and it was really interesting because he started off his talk, and this phrase really hit me hard. Where he he says 
and he used the phrase, we are building God's holy nation, right? And for some reason, whenever I read that, him putting it that way, that phrase, it really um, gave me a perspective on, you know, we talk about the kingdom of God, you know, the, 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 that, that we're building. But when he said we're building God's holy nation, it really helped me understand and kind of solidified in my mind's eye that, that we are building a nation without borders. Of course, the scriptures talk about this, you know, a, a nation that is, is being built throughout the world. This nation that will be prepared to receive at some point the return of the Messiah, where he will rule and reign. And as much as, you know, we're patriotic, uh, pa- patriotic and we love America and we love what America can be, the truth is America and, and, and the inspiration behind setting up America and the hand of the Lord and establishing America was all leading to one thing, and that was to allow the restoration of the gospel to take place. Because we see, if you look back at history and the history of the country, once once the first vision happens, early 1800s, 1820, and then the restoration of the gospel and the formation of God's kingdom officially once again on the earth, we see that America starts to go a totally different path. Yeah. And that since that moment, essentially, you know, it's it's continued to go the way of the world. It's continued to be led by philosophies of man, perhaps mingled with some scripture, but ultimately the author of that philosophy is not God the Father or Jesus Christ. The author of that philosophy is is the adversary, it is mm-hmm. Satan. We can look to those original documents, the constitution, things that were inspired. You can see the hand of God. In you can it. see the hand of God in it, right? Yeah. You can see the value of freedom of religion and freedom yeah. of speech and how all that is necessary for the true practice of, of the gospel. But, I mean, the church was restored and the United States went immediately into oppression and trying to, to limit the freedom of religion. religion yep. Yeah. Right? Or at least a, a decent amount of people did. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. To the, to the, to the extent that governors were issuing extermination orders based on religion. Yeah. And the church had to flee the United States to practice, to practice the, their religion. Yeah. So, and, and then the United States immediately began suffering from that and broke into civil war and all these, all these tragedies happened, right? You can't help but kind of um, put two and two together and realize it's a consequence of, of corruption of sin. Yeah. Yep. The Lord, the Lord put his hand over the country to allow his kingdom to be built. And once, once that kingdom was established, then he allowed things to kind of fall back into their natural order. And we see what men do once that, once that mm-hmm. took place. And we talked about this before, but if, if we believe in those ideals of what, what America was established on and some of the inspiration found in the original documents, how do we get back to that? It's not by focusing on America's founding. We get back to those ideals by focusing on and doing all that we can to build up the kingdom of God. Right. That's where we need to be focused on. As that's the where kingdom of God is built within a country, yep. that's going to strengthen and uplift the country politically yes. as much as as much as spiritually. Yes, that's the blessing. Right. It, it's yeah. it's essentially going to be a bottom up approach whereas you strengthen this people spiritually and the mm-hmm. kingdom of god is built in the hearts yep. of the citizens that's going to reflect and those running for office and those governing 
and you know it's it's a very much bottom up approach um, to government, where the you know the devil's approach is completely the opposite. Yeah, top it, it's down. top down, yep. concentrate authority into into a small number of hands and get keep that power at the expense of of, of those who you should be serving. Yep. It's the complete equal and opposite in all things mm-hmm. approach to how how government should work, and that's exactly what Christ taught. Those who are great among you should be the least. They yeah. should they should serve. And um, again, that's just as you start understanding the stark difference differences between the kingdom of of the devil and the kingdom of God, you can start clearly discerning what's what. And and you know, probably probably your even your political views might start shifting and changing, and you might start seeing things through a different light as you start um, looking at politics in a more spiritual light and, and less of a of a temporal light yeah for sure i would say both of us have become less interested in the political rhetoric as time has gone on and and less interested in in really focusing on identifying one way or the other and far more focused on ultimately how do we build up the kingdom of god individually mm-hmm. within our families but then in the communities around us like that's going to be the greatest thing that has the greatest effect on ensuring that righteousness prevails. I was just reading in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, he was talking about, I think he was addressing the Relief Society maybe, but he said, we should really focus our service on those near us and around us, our acquaintances, right? Those in the sphere in which which we exist. Mm -hmm. And that's that bottom-up approach that, yes, we need to be active in politics. We should always exercise our, our, our freedoms to participate in elections and vote for whoever we think is is the best candidate and all that but true change is going to come through christ yeah through building the kingdom of god through the gospel and and promoting spiritual ideals and moral ideals individually right from 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 you to your neighbor within your family that's going to have the greatest impact long term for you know far greater than anything we can do with a vote. Yep, for sure. And I love the way the manual says it here in this section about the great and abominable church. Um, it says that it, the great and abominable church is any philosophy or organization that opposes belief in God and the captivity into which this church seeks to bring the saints will not so much be physical confinement, but the captivity of false ideas. And it then asks the question, how does the Savior help us avoid and escape from the captivity of false ideas? So that's that that's that uh, scripture mingled with the philosophy of men there, false ideas. And I just, I love how that's worded because it shows that the corruption is spiritual and the captivity of this great and abominable church of the devil, it, it makes us captives through false ideas. Yeah. It teaches us falsehoods. It, it it makes us it indoctrinates us to view the world in a false way, in a in a lower telestial temporal way, in a self-serving egotistical way. These are all these are all false notions and false ideas that they really put us into captivity. Contrast that with what Christ taught that his truth, the fullness of truth, sets us free. Yeah. Free from what? The captivity of false ideas. Mm-hmm. The captivity of 
things that are not true, doctrines and principles that maybe are accepted in the world, in the in, in the in the in the terrestrial world, with that abides by terrestrial and temporal laws only. Maybe maybe those things are fine and serve some kind of purpose, but in a celestial sense, if we abide by the by terrestrial law, we are not on a path to inherit the celestial kingdom. To inherit the celestial kingdom, we have to learn of and live celestial law, higher law, higher truths, acquire greater light and knowledge. And it's that truth, it's that fullness of truth that comes from the Father that we receive through Christ and through the ministry of the Holy Ghost. That's what frees us from this captivity of the devil, captivity of false ideas. I, just, I love how that's worded. Well, and it is very liberating as well, because when you understand that God is the source of all truth and the celestial truth that we are seeking to understand and then implement in our lives so that we can, as much as possible, be and act like him, it, at that point, it really doesn't matter. There are things unknown, things that we're not sure of, things that we, we don't know, or things that today we may believe are true, but then... 10 years from now, we may find out are not true. It doesn't matter. It's like President Nelson said, we accept all truth, whatever, you know, wherever it comes from, whatever form it may come in. You know, if it's true, it's true. And when you follow the principles and the teachings of Jesus Christ, and when you're centered upon him and that, and that is your rock, then it doesn't matter, you know, where, you know, this celestial truth we've been taught growing up. If we find out someday it's not true. For instance, if we found out someday that the earth is really flat. <laughs> And it's, it's really not, it's really not a sphere. It's not a globe. I don't care anymore. I really don't care. Like it doesn't matter to me because I understand that truth is truth. I know who Christ is. I know who my savior is. I know what he's seeking to do with uh, his children. And so whether that, whether that worldly principle I've been taught my whole life is true or not, it doesn't matter anymore, you know, because ultimately his, his truth, the truth that he provides and his desire to elevate us to a, a, a level of ex exaltation of, of celestial living, that's ultimately all that matters, you know? And when we talk about the great and spacious building falling, well, the reason that fall will be so great is because the deception, the philosophies of man mingled with, with scripture, these half truths that they've been taught their whole lives the scale will fall from their eyes and all of a sudden they'll realize these things that they built their entire existence upon were not actually fully true. And the, the fall thereof will be great. It will be significant. Well, there's no foundation. Yeah, that's it's right. It's not lasting. Yep. They, can have their, they can have their power and their authority and their fine clothes and they can mock all those who are, who are beneath them and belittle them. But it's not lasting. They could, they will not take that with them into the next life. So, be it an actual temporal destruction of of society and and and, and the kingdom of 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 the devil, be it a literal destruction, an economic collapse, or just be it that upon their death, they come to a reckoning and an understanding that all they worked for, and all that they fought for their lives was is gone. Yeah. That. They could not. They could not bring it with them, and that now now there is consequences for them not having sought Christ and 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 sought to progress in their life as they should have. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's all it's the same. 
it's the lack of foundation. There's going to be a reckoning one way or the other. And the fall is great, whether that's as a group, whether that's individually. If that's the path you go down, you can have your little your moments of fun and what whatever it is you, you're trying to get out of living that life, but it's not lasting. Well, and I tend to think that that fall will be both individual and kind of this larger yeah. kind of end times cataclysmic thing. Uh, there's, yeah, there's, there's certainly think, both ends that seem to be the case on that. I think there's plenty of evidence for that. Yep, for sure. So um, wrapping up here, the the theme is for this week is I can be armed with righteousness and power. And that comes from chapter 14, verse 14, which uh, it came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the power of the Lamb of God that it descended upon the saints of the church of the Lamb and upon the covenant people of the Lord who were scattered upon all the face of the earth. And they were armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. So this is clearly talking about us and in our day and the blessings that come from the restoration of the gospel. And... And how does this great power of God and this, how are we armed with righteousness? Well, it's by being part of the covenant people of the Lord. And of course, when we talk about being the covenant people, we're talking about making covenants. We're talking about the ordinances of the gospel. We're talking about baptism and confirmation. We're talking about the temple, right? The fullness of the Holy Ghost being available through the restoration, through the temple of God that has been restored on the earth. And it's through those covenants and through those ordinances that we really can be armed with the power of God. And we can we can be clothed in righteousness and carry that with us at all times. That we can be protected in the world, right? In our homes and out of our homes. We can take that armor of God with us. There's literally and spiritually we can we can be clothed in righteousness and, and take that power with us in great glory, and we can be cleansed and sanctified through the Holy Ghost and 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 walk hand in hand with the Savior and and know and, and be protected through all the trials that we go through. Well, and the thing too about it is we tend to, and we talked about this before the podcast started, but we we focus on, even though we say like, oh, what is a covenant? Oh, it's a it's a simple word term you know two-way promise you know between us and and god but i think most people internally we we just sit back and focus on okay what's my part of the covenant right we focus on like what do i need to be doing how do i keep those covenants i have made with the lord but what we don't focus on a lot is there are promised blessings and there's real power and authority that the lord has promised to give those who are willing to make and keep those covenants with him. Now, what does that mean? As we can see in the life of Nephi leading up to this point, and then, you know, certainly um, as we'll study in the in the upcoming lessons, there are going to be trials and tribulations. There are going to be difficulties. There are going to be times when you look up to the heavens and say, I am ready for this to be over now, you know, as Nephi clearly went through and, and so many countless others have gone through. That is part of this existence. That's not that's not a defect. That's a feature of this plan. That's part of the plan. What we have to focus on, if we've made those covenants, if we if we have 
kept those covenants that we have made with the Lord. We just have to keep in mind that those promised blessings are waiting on us. If we haven't received them yet, they are pending. They are there. And we may not receive them immediately or or when we feel like we need them. But again, understand the trials, the tribulations, that's part of the life. That's part of the, the experience we're supposed to be going through here. And so God is not going to absolve us of those things because he knows how bad we need them. And, and when he knows we need to receive the blessings that were promised through those covenants we make, he will send them. He will, he will fulfill and keep his word. Again, as we talked about, he has that perfect integrity. Hold faith, hold true to that. Hold, keep your faith in regards to that. He has also made a covenant with you. You have not just made a covenant with him. And he will always, always keep his word. And we see that all throughout the scriptures with the, the children of Israel. They were his covenant people. He keeps that covenant always. And we know that that covenant will be restored at some point in the future as well. Trust in his word. He is truth. He cannot deviate. And if you have made sacred covenants with him, understand he has made sacred covenants with you and he will keep his integrity perfectly and will send those blessings when he knows that you need them. I testify that the Book of Mormon is true. And there are there are great and powerful principles, doctrines, lessons that we can learn from these narratives that were given. And I know that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the kingdom of God on the earth. I know that there are opposing forces on the earth always and constantly working against us. But I know that the gospel is perfect and that Jesus Christ gives us perfect capacities to overcome those those challenges and those obstacles in our lives. And I know that the fullness of blessings are available to us through the covenant path that Jesus Christ laid out for us, that he was the perfect example, that he condescended and he walked the covenant path to show us how to do it. He did not need redemption. But he showed us how to do it. He showed us how to access redemption and then became the source of that redemption for us through his atonement. And I know that that is true. And I feel that that is true. And then the spirit is burning in me now as I testify of it, confirming that it is true. And I'm so grateful for Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for his example. And I'm grateful for the scriptures and, and, and the words that we have. And I'm grateful for the blessings. I'm grateful for the warnings. And I am grateful to to have the fullness of the gospel in my life and to have the opportunity to have accepted the truth and to be counted among the covenant people of Christ. And I just I know that there are power in the ordinances or there are, there is healing in the ordinances that the ordinances and the covenant path give us access to Jesus Christ. And, and that gives us access to the fullness of the blessings of the Father. And these things are my testimony today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And I might just add that one of the beautiful things we learn here from Nephi and this desire, his engagement, his involvement to understand the vision that his father, 
that his father had to receive that greater clarity, that greater light, and that knowledge. As we step back just a little bit, we see that everyone in the family is going to go through the trials and tribulations. Everyone is going to go through the worldly, temporal, or telestial sufferings that are required by all of God's sons and daughters on earth. The difference with Nephi is how he chose to handle those trials and those tribulations. He was engaged. He did not sit on the sidelines and complain about and throw his hands up in the air and say, God doesn't make these things known unto me. He was involved in the game. He was engaged with the Lord. He sought that personal relationship with the Lord. And because of that, those trials and those tribulations produced the greatest of blessings. It, it changed everything about who he is and what he was able to do with his life and how he has now impacted millions of God's sons and daughters on earth through his faithfulness and through his testimony and his witness and the experiences that he had. That's what this life is about. The trials and the difficulties and, and, and the things that suck about life, that's coming. That's happening to all of God's children, and there is nothing we can do about that. But if we consecrate our lives to the Lord, all of those experiences, no matter how bad, no matter how difficult, they can be used for our benefit and to make us into the person that the Lord knows we can be in. What is that? We are made in his image. He is seeking to bring you up to his level. I testify that if we allow him, he will absolutely do that. And he is seeking to do it. We've just got to get engaged. We got to be involved and we got to give him the opportunity to help us consecrate all that we are unto him. I testify of him in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.